Welcome to the Endurance Horse Podcast, where endurance riders from all across the globe gather, sharing their stories, goals, and progress as they train for and compete in endurance events at every level. So kick off your shoes, pull up a chair, and listen as we gather around the virtual campfire and listen to friends from across the world. Hello and welcome to episode 28 of Endurance Horse Podcast. This will be a regular episode with no theme to it. I know you're all going to be excited to hear updates from Courtney Kruger and how his riding tie events have been going. We're going to hear from Carrie Tooley. She has quite the story to tell and a, a new person, a few new people. So I'm going to jump right into it. I hope you enjoy episode 28 of Endurance Horse Podcast. Hi, I'm Teresa Fett from Frazee, Minnesota. I'm 62 years old, the mother of two boys and two grandchildren. I have been distance riding since 1987 with a total of 11,575 miles under my belt. My greatest accomplishment was in 2018 when I completed the AERC Nationals in the Smoky Mountains of North Carolina with a 10th place finish. What a great feeling for a small-town country girl from northern Minnesota. My training is not as much as what people may think. I try to get out once a week on each one of my two horses for about an hour and a half, with the focus being on hill training. After I ride, I don't ride for a week if it's an LD, two weeks for a 50, and six weeks of rest for a 100. We have our last ride in late October with cold snowy weather in northern Minnesota. I don't ride again until spring thaw in late April. I feel both me and the horses need a break from riding and each other. I spend most of my years riding in Minnesota scheduling rides around a job and kids. The last few years I've expanded my schedule to other states. The Bighorn Mountain in Wyoming was on the list with the hope of one day doing the hundred. I started my first ride in the Big Horns with a 50. At this point, I have now completed three 50s, 175, and now three consecutive 100s. In the 100s, I have placed 5th, 12th, and now this year, 9th. Hopefully, it will be in the cards to attend next year's 50th anniversary ride. I have done all the Big Horn rides on the same horse. His name is Ozzy. He's 14 years young. I bought him as a yearling and trained him myself. He's very calm-mannered and every year seems to get better. If you are looking for a challenging yet rewarding ride, the Bighorn is it. The variation in weather is crazy. It's hot at the base for the start and the finish. Up at the top, we ride in 8,000 plus feet, see sunshine, cool breeze, heavy rain, Hail, usually all in the same day. For me, the most challenging is coming down the mountain in the dark with a loose shale rock. But as you hit the bottom and you finish out the last seven miles, the feeling when you see base camp is overwhelming. You know you made one of the toughest rides in the country with a healthy horse and will be ready for another day. In closing, I encourage all riders to never give up. You never know what you and your horse 
can do. And maybe we will meet on the trail someday. Hello, endurance friends. This is Carrie Tooley from Temecula in Southern California. Just got back from the fireworks ride in Santa Cruz. Thought I'd share about my trip. First, a little history from last year's adventure to the fireworks ride. I took Copper, who was and still is inexperienced in the sport. When we got to the river crossing, he panicked from being left behind. We went down, he ran off and swam upriver and had to be rescued. Very scary, but he was fine. I left on Thursday at around seven in the morning. It took me 10 hours to get there, about 450 miles. I unloaded twice during the trip. It was just under 100 degrees. Ride camp is at a beautiful horse riding club with shady corrals, round pens, hoses, picnic tables, and a clubhouse. Plenty of room for a large event. I believe there were like 90 horses there, probably 50 in the 50 miler. Friday morning, I rode down to the river crossing. Even though I brought my other horse, Magnum, I was quite nervous about what happened last year and needed a pre-ride. The crossing went well, just Magnum didn't like a muddy area before the crossing that I was sure he would jump during the ride. The ride started at 6 a.m. and I put Magnum pretty far in the back of the controlled start. Someone had a problem and about half of the riders got held up for a few minutes. After we got going, it was no longer controlled and it was a little crazy. Again, riders stopped in front of us with what I thought was bees. Magnum was swishing his tail and tossing his head. Turns out it was stinging nettle. I brushed it off his neck, but he was bothered by it for a while. Now we come to the river crossing and we're told to hold up and cross one at a time. I told the volunteer nicely that I was with the riders in front and was going with them. First, you had two drop downs that were steep from erosion. Then I noticed they were crossing different from the way I had gone the day before. But I kept control of Magnum and followed the horse in front of me. I did hear some extra splashing from my girlfriend's horse behind me, but was very focused on making it all the way across. We did it. Magnum was just starting to trot to catch up with the horse ahead of him when I heard my name called. I slowed down and looked over my right shoulder to see a loose horse with no rider. Magnum was not easy to pull up and turn around, but did it, and we were able to catch Nina Bowman's horse. Last year, when I went down, they thought I had hit my head on rocks and then been stepped on by copper and were so worried about me, no one thought about catching my horse. So I was very happy I could catch her horse this year and prevent the horse from doing stupid while it was loose. Nina was soaking wet 
She actually went down twice, but was okay and very grateful to see her horse on the other side of the river. After a bit of riding, I reached down to unzip my fanny pack to get out my sunglasses and realized I had left the pack at my trailer. No snacks, no vet card, no map, no sunglasses. Bummer. At 10 miles, you ride through the vet check, but it's a trot by. For the next 13 or so miles, I rode by myself trying to get my very forward horse to rate and settle in. It was very warm and humid. When we came to the first 45 minute hold, I knew Magnum wouldn't make it if he kept that up all day. So I started riding with Annette MacGyver and her Tennessee walker, Bullseye. Magnum got much better after that. This ride is just gorgeous, like riding in a rainforest. We were granted permission to ride on private property and they had hoses to cool the horses down. The horses needed it. And I want to say thank you to the property owners for that. Vet check two was at the same place at about 40 miles into the ride. Another 45 minute hold. Magnum was much better at this one, but my riding partner, Annette, was pulled and we had to go it alone back to the river again. There were a lot of bike riders and hikers on this part, so we went slow. We caught up with three riders on mules, followed them across the river. One mule was ponied and struggled a bit, but the young athletic rider stayed on. The last five miles were a pleasure, and we finished 25th, happy and healthy and ready to attempt Tavis again. Thanks to the great ride management, and hope to see some of you at Tavis. Carrie Tootley. Hi, Endurance World. This is Courtney Kruger from the Ride and Tie side of the Endurance World, and I'm recording this on August 20th, which is the 11th birthday of my wonder horse, Coda. We call him Coda the Magic Dragon, and he has been such a great horse, and I've shared with you many of the stories about his uh, achievements and exploits the last uh, year or so. Unfortunately, Coda has developed a tear in the branch of his suspensory ligament, and that has knocked him out of competition for this year and maybe even for most of next. Uh, he had a good start to the year. We won a couple of races, and he was doing great, but he came up uh, almost lame at Yellowhammer Race, and then at Virginia Highlands just came up completely. He actually came off the truck lame. And so the University of Tennessee vets have been taking good care of him and have done a good job of, of helping us get him, hopefully, on the road to recovery. 
But in the meantime, the ride and tie season continued, and my friend Ron Venable, knowing or suspecting that we were going to need a horse, gave me a call on July 3rd and said, well, how is Coda? And I said, well, not too good, and we've got an appointment with the vets at UT, but he hadn't made the, the appointment yet, but we don't think he's going to race anytime soon. And she said, well, good, I want to bring you Calypso, and I'm going to be in town, or at least in Tennessee, tomorrow, which was July 4th. And so Sarah, my daughter, and I went up to Crossville, Tennessee, and picked up this uh, new-to-us horse, even though we had met him before, uh, and he became my ride-and-tie uh, horse for at least up until this last weekend to, for the World Championships. Now, Calypso has an interesting story. His owner, Greg Bradner, brought him a couple of years ago and began working to make him a ride-and-tie horse, and he competed very successfully in a couple of ride-and-tie races. But then a couple of months ago at one of the rides at Old Dominion, uh, Calypso just kind of lost his head. And he was fine under saddle, but he wouldn't let his partners mount him. And he would spin and uh, buck and, and rear a little bit, and they just couldn't mount him. It was Greg and Greg's partner, Amy Kerrigan. And so they had to end up just walking him back to camp and not finish the race just about two or three miles in. And uh, Greg just decided that maybe he didn't have the time to put into Calypso and wanted to give somebody else a chance to see if they couldn't maybe... Uh, give him a little bit of rehab or, or, or train him a little bit so he could be a great ride and die horse. And so we brought him to our farm and my wonderful wife, Lee, got to work on Calypso. And the, the big deal, of course, is mounting. He's wonderful once you're under saddle, but he was just tough to mount. And she was so wonderfully patient with him and she would get him to stand still while she just stood next to him. And then she would put just a little bit of weight in a stirrup and then kind of put a little bit more weight in a stirrup. And she just was very patient and very patient and just kind of retrained him how to stand still when you, you mount him. And so then we took him to the Old Dominion night ride in the, toward the end of July. And um, we got up there on Friday, but the race wasn't actually until Saturday night. It's the only night ride of the season in, in Ride and Tie. And so uh, Saturday morning, I took Calypso out onto the course. And I would tie him to trees and then practice with him getting on and off and, and making sure that he was okay. And he just did really, really well. Um, that uh, that evening. Uh, not perfect, but, and I told my partner, Mark, this is uh, just going to be a 20-mile training ride. We're going to come in last place because our job is just to try to see if we can't make Calypso uh, a, a ride and tie horse again, and that's exactly what what we did. Uh, uh, Calypso is kind of funny. He doesn't have a great sense of how big he is, I think, and really doesn't have a great sense of where his body is, and he's not really intentionally mean but he'll kind of sling his head around into your space and 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 step on you if you're not careful and he's just not really uh, uh sure about where i think his body is and at one point i'm not sure exactly how it happened but he knocked me down and i was uh, uh on the ground right next to him his front feet were right next to my rib cage and i just pleaded with him while i was lying there please don't step on me please don't step on me and he didn't and he just did wonderfully and we had a wonderful ride. The night ride is so much fun because uh, we start about uh, dusk and then ride into the dark. And it's a, it's a shorter race, only 20 miles. But once it gets dark, you kind of have to slow down a little bit. 
and you're following the glow sticks through the forest. And I kind of compare it to one of those uh, puzzles that we did with kids that where you follow the numbers on the page and you connect the dots from one to two to three to four and go all the way and it makes a picture. We're just riding from glow stick to glow stick, kind of connecting the dots. And you have to trust that the horse can see better than you can. And that's kind of neat. And of course, you have all the neat night sounds and all of that kind of thing. And so we had a really good time, enjoyed the ride. Uh, for a good bit of the dark portion, we were with uh, uh, Amy Kerrigan and Carrie Barris on Carrie's horse, Comet, and so that was kind of fun for the, the four of us to all be together and, and, um, and ride together. And then the next day, Mark, my partner, had some pretty bad cramps uh, the night before, during the night, and so we decided instead of doing the 20-mile ride, we would just do the 12-mile ride. And so Calypso just did a great job, and we ended up winning that race. And so we just felt so good that we had, had kind of rehabbed this horse and gotten him back into a new career. And I'm sure enough, he's now with um, uh, Charlesy McAllister, and she is going to use him as an LD horse and as a ride-and-tie horse. And um, we're real proud of Calypso. But Calypso was also my mount in the World Championships, which was this past weekend uh, in uh, Jamestown, Tennessee. And I'm going to make a second recording and let you hear that story uh, maybe a little later in this podcast. Hi, uh, this is Julie Valu from Mongolia. And I'd like to talk today a little bit about my adventure into endurance riding here in Mongolia. It was kind of an unusual story, I think. Uh, I moved to Mongolia in 2010 as a complete non-rider. Had never ridden a horse, had no interest in riding a horse. Uh, was terrified of horses, actually. And um, here I am nine years later with something approaching 30,000 kilometers under my belt. It, it started because we, my husband and I wanted to go and spend some time in the countryside on the weekends. And so... We ended up getting a gare. Uh, many of you will think of it as a yurt, one of the round felt tents that the Mongolians live in, and uh, moved it out onto the land with my Mongolian language teacher. She and her husband had a place out in the countryside where they had a small trekking business, a few horses, a few cows. The neighborhood was full of people who had sheep and yak and cows and horses and all of the beautiful Mongolian countryside animals. And so uh, I would sit there by the gear, um, drinking my coffee in the morning and thinking, I'm so lucky to be in this last surviving horse culture and seeing these little tiny kids thundering by, taking their animals to water and just an absolutely blissful pastoral scene. Started thinking, you know, if I want to understand this culture, and I do, I had best, I had best get on a horse and see what happens. So uh, I got on a horse which was being led by a 10-year-old. I was 50 at the time. And um, much to my surprise, I absolutely passionately fell in love with it. And so started riding, started really riding, learned how to uh, move up and canter and gallop and do all those things. And then there was a a really beautiful snow-capped mountain range. Most of the year it's snow-capped. And I would look at it longingly, and so I sort of thought, well... Maybe we could ride there. So I asked Baggy, who is the owner of Horse Track Mongolia, where we ride, and if we could ride there. And he said yes. So me and four of my friends went on a trek there, which is a whole nother story, that trek. Uh, but I, I got the bug really bad. And so basically with that group of people, 
uh, and a few other local people, we decided that we were going to ride down to the South Gobi, which is where my husband was working at the time and many of the women's husbands and many of the men's wives. So we put together a little group of us um, and we set off across the Gobi Desert for 700 kilometers, uh, not knowing if we could do it, much less how long it would take um, or how we would manage it. And again, the story of that, that Gobi Gallop is a whole nother, it's a whole nother story. It was an amazing adventure and a true test of everyone's endurance and horses' endurance and the magic that is Mongolia, uh, because we had to swap our horses halfway through. And so we, we basically just borrowed somebody, some, some guy's horses, um, which wouldn't happen very, very many places, I don't think. So um, at the same time as the Gobi Gallop was starting, we realized it would make an excellent fundraiser for a project that I had just started, which is called the Children of the Peak Sanctuary Project. Um, it's, uh, we have a foundation, my family, my husband and I, just a small family foundation, nothing big or fancy or Bill Gates-ish, unfortunately, but um, we like to make a difference in the lives of the children. And so we, when we moved to Mongolia, we found these kids who were scavenging in the garbage dump to survive. So we have now, um, at that time, we were just starting to build the first kindergarten so we now have two kindergartens. Uh, the first one has 150 children this year, just started this week. The second one has um, 170. Uh, and we have a summer camp for about 300 children, plus a young scholarship program. We're starting um, a university scholarship program. And we have a lot of education-focused initiatives and a lot of employment initiatives for their families, to for their parents, to try and work and get everyone off the garbage dump. And so, miraculously, this crazy long endurance ride has turned into the longest annual endurance charity ride on the planet. We've been doing the Gobi Gallop for seven years now. Uh, in addition to that, I do a whole bunch of other charity rides across Mongolia every year. And so every year I get about 3,000 kilometers in, um, sometimes a little more, sometimes a little less. And I'm always astonished by the absolute magnificence of the Mongolian horse and their endurance capability. The, the Gobi Gallop is, I feel like, a really true endurance ride in the respect that um, the 700 kilometers, well, I should say the 700 plus kilometers because we always ride a minimum of 700 kilometers. This year we did 770, which was kind of epic and crazy and wonderful. But we... Um, uh, the 700 kilometers is, has turned into a really, really good um, fundraiser. So the way that it works is people from around the world come um, to do the ride and 50% of their entrance fee goes to our local herders who are the ones who are training the horses in traditional endurance technique. And 50% goes directly to the charity helping support um, the running and operations of the kindergartens and the summer camp and the after school programs and whatnot. And um, the um, uh, riders, uh, you know, they pay half and then they raise half because we're a registered charity in Canada um, and in America. And so at this point, we've done the Gobi Gallop seven years in a row. And uh, the Gobi Gallop combined with the really big, we do a very fancy party afterwards uh, to welcome back the riders and have a charity auction and whatnot. And somehow 
we have managed to raise in the seven years we've been doing it a little over $540,000, which I think is truly, truly astonishing and really wonderful. It's, you know, to see endurance riders from around the world coming um, and and helping maintain the endurance capacity of the Mongolian horses because something is interesting is happening in Mongolia and many, many of the horses now are simply used for racing. So they, I mean, races in Mongolia are quite long. They are 32 or 40 kilometers. Um, uh, but almost nobody is using the horses anymore the way that they were used for thousands and thousands of years. Many, many herders now, if they're going to go long distance, they go on a motorbike. And so these may be some of the last horses in Mongolia that are capable of going 700 kilometers because we take two horses per rider. So that's kind of the cool part about the endurance thing, I think, is that the horse's endurance is as critical as the people's endurance. And so we have to manage both. And it really is a team sport where we try to get everybody, all of the people and all of the horses across the finish line 700 plus kilometers later, happy and healthy and um, intact, shall we say, and really proud of the fact that we've only ever had one person go off in an ambulance and she had a broken collarbone, as it turned out, from, from coming off when her horse went down a hole. So people always say to me, oh my gosh, those Mongolian horses, they're so crazy, they're so wild. Um, and while it's true that many, many Mongolian horses which are left to forage over the winter are, are a, bit, a bit of a handful, um, our horses are fed and prepared for this endurance challenge. They're fed all winter, they're ridden all winter. And while they're certainly forward-moving and um, not, you know, your average run-of-the-mill bomb-proof bomb, bomb horse from back home, um, they're excellent, amazing animals. And I feel really honored that somehow my life has morphed into this situation where I get to meet the coolest people from around the world um, and I get to ride some of the greatest horses on the planet. Um, and all of it to to keep a tradition alive and to help the, you know, some of the poorest kids on the planet. So I'm just, I'm, I mean, I'm just, I'm just a bit overwhelmed sometimes by, by the fact that this has happened to me. And I can't tell you how fantastic it is to get to spend, I spend about 55 or so nights every year camping outside with my horse on various rides, but Mongolia is a magical place. And I'm really, really really honored to have gotten this this love of endurance riding um here and the opportunity to um to really take it well literally as far as i want literally the learn to ride in a 12 million acre arena <laughs> and it was pretty fun nice talking to you all The 49th Ride and Tie World Championship was held in Jamestown, Tennessee over the weekend of uh, August uh, 16, 17, and 18. And in the Ride and Tie community, we're real proud of that. 49 years of, of Ride and Tie. 
one of the people who competed over the weekend is named George Hall, and he has competed in, he's not sure if it's 37 or 39 consecutive ride and tie world championships, but he's done a whole bunch of them. Uh, there is another woman, Mary Tiscornia, who has done um, somewhere around 45, maybe, of them, although she hasn't competed in the last several years. Uh, so we have a really wonderful, long tradition, and we're very proud that it was in the east this year. It'll be back out west next year in the Redwood Forest, and that'll be a really neat race as well. Well, we were taking Calypso to be our uh, uh, mount for the, the World Championships. It was a 35-mile course. There were two vet checks. Most riding tire races of, of 25 or 30 miles only have one vet check, but because it's the Worlds, we added that extra vet check, and because there was some extra mileage in there, 35 miles. We also had, because of the heat, the vets wanted to have a little stricter uh, uh conditions and so both at the the mid-race vet checks the two mid-race checks and the final check the heart rate requirement was 60 beats a minute whereas often it's 64 at the mids and 60 at the end and so that made things a little more challenging as well calypso is a great horse but he isn't as fit as some and we hadn't had the time to really get him as fit as we would have liked for him to have been and and that showed up uh, pretty dramatically when we got in from the first loop, uh, we had trouble getting his heart rate down. And in ride and tie, the idea is that you want to get your runner back on the course as soon as possible. And so the plan was that uh, Mark would ride in and then he would run out. And so he rode Clipso in and I ran in and Mark, within a minute or two, he was back out running on the course. And then it was my job along with my crew, which was Lee, my wife, and Alita, Mark's wife, and Sarah, my daughter, and, and Lee's daughter, to get his heart rate down to 60 and get him through the vet check and all of that stuff. And it took a while. And we ended up having to take his tack off. And in ride and tie, you don't have to usually take the tack off in the mid-race uh, check. But we just had to get him cool and his heart rate wasn't coming down. And we only had 30 minutes to get him down to 60. And so, kind of long story short, with about at about the 29 minute and 30 second point, we finally got his heart rate down to 60. He was in the, the pulse box, and the vet said, yes, he is right at 60. Took him over to the vet. By the time we got to the vet, he had dropped down to 56, I think. Did the trot out. The vet did the other uh, exams that the vet does, and then checked again for the, the pulse that would determine the CRI. And if you don't know what CRI is, that is the Cardiac re, uh, Recovery Index, and that is how many beats is different between the, the initial vet in, and that was 54, and the trot out, and the trot back in, and then the one minute of recovery time. And his CRI, he was at uh, 76 beats. So he was 18 beats above where he had come in. So that's a CRI of 18. The vets had said that anything over eight, they were going to be worried about. So we were way off. And so they said, take him away for 15 minutes, try and calm him down, try and cool him down, and let's see if we can get a better CRI in 15 minutes. And so we went away for 15 minutes. Again, Mark is out on the course this whole time now. Now he's been running for more than 45 minutes. And uh, we come back through and just kind of by the skin of our teeth got the, the his CRI. I think it was 54 again and then 64. I guess it was 56 
and 64. So barely got in by the skin of our teeth. Uh, Lee, who is just a great uh, uh, strategist, said to me as I was going out, you can't go too slow because if you leave a horse out even walking in the heat, that's going to keep their heart rate up. But you also know you can't go too fast because we've got another vet check we have to get through before we even get to the end of the race. And so Calypso and I go out and we are trotting uh, and doing a good bit of walking. If it's a hill or anything that was at all technical, we just trot, we would just walk. And finally, eight miles into the 12 mile course, we caught Mark. And uh, when I saw him, he didn't hear us coming up behind him. And I yelled out, did you give up on us? And he turned around and he said, yeah, I did. And I said, well, we just had a lot of trouble with CRI in the vet check. And Mark said, are we still in the race? And I said, Mark, I wouldn't be on horseback if we weren't still in the race. Yeah, we're still in the race. And he said, what's amazing is, you know, I'm kind of keeping track and we're still in fourth place. And so we again knew that we had to be so careful with Calypso. So we walked him and trotted him a little bit. Uh, the last three or four miles of the, or I guess the last three miles or so of the 12 mile course were out in the open on just open roads. And so the heat was just really bearing down. Upper 80s uh, was the heat. And so we're trying so hard to be careful with Calypso. Got him in for the, the second vet check. And I went out on the last loop, which is an eight mile loop. And I did tell Mark, even though I knew we were going to have trouble and he might even get pulled, I'm going to go ahead and go out so that we're just keeping our team moving forward. And you just come catch me. And if you can't catch me, don't worry. I'll stop before the end of the for the finish line and wait for you because you have to do at least one switch and, and usually at least two switches uh, each loop. And so I couldn't run the whole eight miles across the finish line. I would have to do a switch or two with, with Mark. And so um, that's exactly what happened. I, I, I did the... By running and doing some running and walking, I ended up um, doing the entire eight miles before Mark was able to catch me. He caught me at about mile seven, and we made a couple of hand switches, but we uh, Mark jumped off of him at seven, and we walked him in the whole last mile just to make sure. And he did okay in the final vet check. It took us a little while to get his heart rate down again, but he did okay and, and passed the vet check. And, um, and we finished in fourth place. And it was actually a tie for fourth, which was kind of fun because... Um, uh, Amy Kerrigan and uh, Charles E. McAllister caught us uh, and we all decided that we would just come in together as a tie. They caught us kind of toward the end. Uh, Charles E. has this wonderful horse named Ty and so it's kind of appropriate maybe that Ty tied for fourth uh, but Ty is a, is a great horse and, and that was a good thing. While I was out there on that eight mile loop, I made up a song and I get this this tradition of making up songs from one of our ride and die friends, Lori Little, who also likes to make up songs when she's out on the, the course. And the idea is you take an existing melody, but you add new words to it to, to uh, explain what was going on with you that day. And so for some reason, I was thinking about the VeggieTales song, We Are the Pirates Who Don't Do Anything. And if you know the song and know the tune, this will be a little cuter than, than if you don't. And you might want to look up the song if you don't. But uh, here was, was my version of We Are the Pirates Who Don't Do Anything. And of course, I have to sing it in kind of a piratey voice. We're riding tires who never tie. We just run around in the sun. And if you ask us why we don't tie, we'll just tell you we failed the CRI. And so that is my story about uh, Calypso and the uh, World Championship. I'm very proud of him, very thankful for Mark, and very thankful for our fourth place tie in the 49th World Championship.
So I guess here's my podcast for the Standard Bread file. Uh, my name is Griffin Keller. I have owned my standee. Uh, his registered name is Sleek and Wow, but I call him Sully. Uh, for just over a year now, um, we've completed two LDs so far. And I tell you, I, I really love the breed. It's amazing um, just how different they are compared to the Arabs I've had before. As far as how I got into horses, I guess I'm an adult re-rider. Uh, getting my first horse as a lease in my late 20s and then purchasing a horse when we decided to wait to have children a few more years. Uh, started out with this big bald face paint that I fell in love with even though I was looking for a black trail horse and wanted to do just have fun really um, run around trail riding and eventually I kind of got the notion about competing and maybe doing the competitive trail rides uh, years kind of went by and we had <laughs> a move and got hooked up with some folks that did endurance and learned about limited distance and gosh five years four four almost five years later I finally took him to his first limited distance ride if you know anything about my story it's all in my blog I had we had an accident on trail and had to let him go um, up in the mountains and this is not the best way to start out your endurance career but um, everybody kind of rallied around me and I found myself finding that black horse that I always wanted um, an Arab uh, sadly I lost him to colic a few years later and then the next Arab I got turned out to be unrideable um, some previous damage to him just made it too painful for him to be a saddle horse so he's kind of a retired pasture puff and then I went looking for a replacement and I wanted something quieter but still fun uh, still competitive but I don't need to be winning and I saw a post for this standard bred mare in Pennsylvania right near where we were going to be going on vacation and decided to go test her out and rode her and another mare and I looked at the girl that was helping me and said I want one's personality and the other one's trot and she said you know I have a gelding coming later so a few months go by and I went back to try him and three two or three others and ended up really liking wow wowza at the time is what she called him and did a PPE on him a few months later and not even a few months really a few weeks later and then brought him home the following month and there we went. Um, I guess why I chose to stay with endurance riding is I, I love being out on the trail. I love enjoying the company of other people while riding. Um, it's just, I'm not a ring person. I do it for the necessity of making sure my horse is sane and listening to cues. Um, and endurance riding kind of allows you to be that person out there that just wants to finish. You don't have to compete. Um, <laughs> our last ride we unintentionally top 10 and then ended up winning best condition and 
high vet score for the LD. Totally unplanned. And I normally am a mid to back of the pack person, but he's a go, go, go type of horse. I guess what he does great is he's adjusted really well to life off the track. He spent seven years as a harness racing horse, as a trotter. He really loves getting out on trail. He loves to lead. We do tend to end up off by ourselves a lot when we ride with friends that have Arabs because he has such a huge walk. And it's nice to know I can just walk if I need to and not have to worry about um, having that slow, <laughs> what is it, the quarter horse um, dog walk going on. Uh, he rarely does that. Doesn't spook much. He always comes back to himself very quickly uh, when he does get flustered and he's just a total love bug. The one thing I can count on with him is when he is upset about something like when the 50s left before us at one ride, all I had to do was go over and start grooming him and he instantly drops his head and kind of goes into his own and that's just his way of going, okay, all is well. They did spend a lot of time in cross ties and stuff and racing, but I think that's just his comfort place. I think he's just such a cool horse and we have a lot of fun. The blow-ups are fairly minor and I can't always say that for what I've dealt with with two Arabs, and I loved my Arabs. I still love my retired guy. I think they're an amazing breed, and people really need to look into them more. I hope to find one for my daughter that she's not afraid of the height on when she's ready for it. I think it'd be a great um, thing for her, as well as you know, a horse that you know is going to take care of them, and Sully is all heart, and but he does know when to stop himself. Um, he did, we got a pull at Gobble. He <laughs> Just decided, uh, and it was good. I mean, he tweaked his stifle, and he was done. He said, I'm not walking up another hill with you on my back. So he knew his limits, and we hopped off and walked and made it back to camp, and that was you know, a lesson learned for us. They're just, they're a really cool breed, and I hope more people start you looking at them and all the different organizations out there, and even private people like... Sabina, who work with the owners directly, pulling them off the track um, to try and help rehome these guys before they hit the Amish world. They're pretty sturdy. <laughs> They're very stoic, so sometimes it's hard to tell if something's really wrong. They are just as fun to ride as an Arab, if not more, flying down the trails at a trot when everybody else is cantering to keep up. It's kind of fun for me. I just, I look forward to a lot more rides with him. Of course, the 49th Riding Tire Championship wasn't only the story of Calypso and Mark and me. There were lots of other wonderful stories, and a few of them I'd like to tell you now. The winners of the 49th Championship were Chris Lang and Rhonda Venable. And one of the neat things about that is that that was Chris Lang's first ever riding tie. He is a great runner, has just kind of learned to ride a horse, and uh, did a super job. They were on Ray, and Ray is Rhonda and Dave Venables off the track Arabian, and he's uh, this is his rookie season as a riding tie horse, and he also won best condition, so they had a wonderful day. Uh, my favorite story, I think, about their day, though, was that on the first loop, you descend down about 1,600 feet into a gorge, and then you have to come back up the 1,600 feet on the other side of the gorge, 
and that's where the most technical parts of the trail are and also the toughest parts of the trail both going down and coming up uh, it's really steep going down and there's one section where it's just the Tennessee sandstone uh, slick Tennessee sandstone and there is water flowing over it some kind of a spring is right there and so there's water flowing over it they tell us in the winter time there's almost always ice there but that was no problem for for Saturday but there was a lot of water coming over it is very slick and Chris not being a very experienced rider is going down the hill he's already not real confident about what's happening and they get to that point and raises just decides that's it I'm over I'm done and so he turns around and starts heading back up the hill uh, Barb Matthews was coming down the hill on her wonderful horse Gator and um, uh, and her description was she she said she saw the whole thing that Ray took a look at that and turned around and just said I'm getting the heck out of here and started back up the hill and Barb told Chris, just tuck in right behind Gator. He'll be fine, and Ray will follow Gator. And sure enough, Ray followed Gator right on down. I caught up to them about that time, and all three of us rode together for a while, both down the hill and then back up the hill. Uh, in typical Barb Matthews fashion, she was very careful with Gator going down and careful with Gator going up. But once it got flat again, boy, she was gone, and um, we didn't see her. And, and they finished in third place, uh, I'm, I'm, I believe, I'm pretty sure. Another neat story that happened, kind of funny story, is Amy Kerrigan was riding Charlesy McAllister's horse, Ty, and Charlesy was her uh, partner. And at one of the first ties, maybe the first tie, as Amy was, was jumping off of Ty, her hydration pack caught on the horn of Ty's saddle. And Ty was wearing a western saddle, and the, the strap that goes across your chest that just caught right on that horn. And so she's basically hanging off of Ty, and of course, in the early ties, the horses are usually a little bit excited, so it was not only um, uncomfortable, but a little bit dangerous. And she's trying to figure out what to do as she kind of hangs there, and Carrie runs by, and Carrie sees what's going on, of course, and Carrie, so Carrie helps push Amy back up so she can get herself freed up from Ty's uh, horn and be able to, to continue on, and by all accounts... Uh, Ty just did wonderfully and just stood there calmly and patiently and he didn't mind that he had this runner just kind of hanging off uh, the side of him. Andrew Murray had his horse out there on the course and his partner was named Blake and after the first loop they had some intermittent injury or intermittent lameness in the, the horse and so they were trying to be careful uh, with with their horse and um, and they kind of had the similar situation that we did where the the runner got way out ahead on the course um, in that second loop because it took so long to get the horse through the first loop and they were trying to be so careful because they just wanted to win and I, I mean not win but just complete and they were they were using that wonderful mantra to finish is to win to finish is to win which is what Mark and I kept telling ourselves uh, as well as we were trying to get Calypso through um, unlike us, though, they, they needed to be so careful because the horse was having some lameness issues. And so they spent uh, more than 10 hours out on the course to do the 35 miles. But they were both riding tie rookies, and the horse was riding tie rookie, and they finished. And so they certainly, certainly won. I mentioned earlier George Hall, who has been doing, has maybe done every single Riding Tower World Championship since 1980. Uh, he came out and he partnered with uh, Farzad Vriyadi, and Farzad's horse is named Eros, and he is pushing 17 hands. He is a really tall, tall horse, not a Riding Tower pony at all, but a great horse, fast horse, wonderful horse. Uh, however, he threw a shoe, and it took them a while to get that worked out, and uh, they were a little worried that he might be lame, and so they were out on the, ho on the course for a, a pretty good time, but they had a wonderful 
time together. And again, we are so thankful that George was able to come out from out west and, and join us. Uh, Brody uh, is, is a Appaloosa horse who is uh, Luke Palamore's horse. And Luke's sister Caroline rode Brody and her partner was Julie Sewer. And they had some difficulties. Brody threw a shoe before the race ever started. And we did have a farrier who was going to be there, but he wasn't planning to be there for the start. And so he didn't get there until about an hour after the, the race had started. And so Julie, I believe, had already run out onto the course um, when the race started, but without a horse. And so the farrier finally got there, put a shoe on, and Caroline was off. But Caroline got off course a little bit at some point on the, the trail, which took them even longer. And so Julie finished the first loop, which was 14 point something miles, but she couldn't cross the finish line because she needed to do a switch or two with, uh, with um, uh, Caroline. And so she had to just wait uh, a few yards away from the finish line. Luckily, there was a tent there, and she could wait in the shade. And she had to wait for an hour or so for Caroline to catch her. So that put them a couple hours behind. Uh, they then went through the other loops, but I think they were having a little bit of trouble maybe with, with the horse and, and maybe even some with, with following the course. And so they were on the course for nearly 12 hours. Uh, they turtled the ride, but they had such a great time. And there was a, there's a great picture of them coming in, and you can kind of see the sun setting behind them. And a ride, rather than riding into the sunset, they kind of ride, rode out of it, but um, they just did a, a super job. It was a great world championship. We had a great time, and in, in uh, typical ride and tie fashion, everybody encouraged everybody else, had a wonderful time at the banquet. I sung my little song at the banquet. Other people told stories about their day at the banquet, and uh, we all had a great time, and I look forward to the 50th annual world championship, which will be next year in the Redwood Forest out in California. Hi everyone, my name is Jenna Corsiato. I'm in Bismarck, North Dakota, which, believe it or not, has beautiful, although remarkably short summers, which we're just getting to the end of now. This leads, understandably, to a ton of anxiety about getting enough conditioning in at the beginning of the season, and then fitting in enough riding during the season to make up for the long months of winter when we're stuck inside. Either not being able to ride much, or if you're lucky, riding in an indoor arena, which gets really boring. I have a uh, recently retired horse, a Pasifina mare named Nolly. She's 20 this year. Some of you may have heard of her. She's the lovely little gray mare that ran away during an unloading mishap on the way home from the Tatman Ride in Wyoming, uh, 2018. She was found a month later, about 20 miles away, which was a great, great month. Uh, she was retired after that um, from Lyme disease. She had it before the runaway, and after her little walkabout, it came back with a vengeance and just can't be resolved. So she's okay as long as she's just quietly on the pasture, so that's her life for now. I have two mares in the works, another Pasifino mare, Polly, named because she's basically Nolly 2.0, very similar. They look like carbon copies. And an Arab Paso Cross Miga. They're both as yet unknown quantities, so we'll have to see what the next year brings us. 
I also have a yearling half Andalusian, half Arab Pasifino filly, so there's lots to look forward to, hopefully. I got into horses because of an aunt and uncle who, lucky for me, had some horses, and when I got shipped off there every summer, would stick me in 4-H and then ended up paying for me to have riding lessons during the year after I went back home. I stuck with it, even though my parents just really couldn't fathom the attraction, especially after the first couple of ER visits. And that still holds true today after even worse ER visits. Uh, Yeah, and so after moving to Bismarck a few years ago, a couple of girlfriends and I were all riding Morgan horses, all three of whom had a little more energy than is really needed for arena sports. And we decided to give endurance a go. Uh, We all got together and went to our first LD over in Minnesota, and just, we had a blast. We were all hooked, and we've all been going ever since. Uh, yeah, I've stuck with endurance, mostly because I I really appreciate how it's, how it's all about spending so much time with your horse. Um, we all get into horses because we just love horses. We love spending time with them and riding them. And yet, most of the time when you show horses, you don't actually get to ride them all that much. You spend a lot of time dealing with horse show drama, and yeah, and it's just not that much time riding. <laughs> so, and health and well-being on the horse is just, of the horse is just not really the primary focus of the typical horse show. And I truly fell in love with endurance because you just spend bundles of time with your horse and you get rewarded for taking the best care you can of your partner. And above all that, the atmosphere is so supportive and friendly, and I haven't encountered that in any other equestrian sport I've been involved in. I just think it's so fun when uh, you go to a new ride that you haven't been to before, you immediately make a bunch of friends, you saddle up and your horse is just loving going out and having a new adventure. And it's just a great experience. I love it. So anyways, my goals for this next season would be mostly to build up a safe and successful partnership with a new mount, which uh, given my most recent accident is actually a pretty big obstacle for me. I've been trying to get into 50s for several years now with lots of setbacks, but at this point in time, I know I need to just settle down on that and calm down my ambitions and work on myself and whichever mount I have going forward. So most likely I'll stick with LD distances for the time being until I know what we've got to work with. And maybe one day we'll get back to working towards the 50s. So yeah, that's me. Thank you. Hi everyone. I'm Adriana. I'm 54. I'm from Rio Grande do Sul State, south of Brazil. We are at the border with Uruguay and Argentina, which makes us the coldest state in the country. So Brazilian is not only beaches and palm trees, it can even snow here. We also have a culture more similar to our neighbors, so to speak, the gaucho culture. All that together makes our ours an unique environment, and of course, with a horse culture of our own. 
My horses are Crioulos, which is the local breed that evolved from horses that were left in South America by Spanish and Portuguese settlers more than 400 years ago. And they evolved by natural selection, all in the fields. They are two mares, my horses, Bohemia and Buena Sorte, have had for some months only now. Before, I had a Paranoia. Paranoia was a special mare, the same breed. That was my first horse that I bought for endurance. Unfortunately, she died some months ago of complications of a lung disease, sadly. Because of her, I decided to start a team, which name is Paranoia team. I named it after her. Paranoia was a very forward horse, always willing to go faster, but with great stamina. Bohemia is also like that, but she's far calmer and sweet temperament. Buena Sorte, in the contrary, is like she's more like a Zen master. She will always have the right pace, nothing less, nothing more. She will do any ride that you ask her. So I got into horses since I was a little girl, now I'm 54, for my grandpa had a farm, the town where my mother lives, and I rode and had some horses. Later on, I graduated vet school, I'm a vet, and ended up working as, a, as an university professor in a small town in the same state. Um, there, I there was a an endurance competition and a local breeder lent some horses to a group of people. Among them was me. We were to ride these horses for this competition. So it was only 30 kilometers, but I was hooked since then. Then I bought Paranoia and did some competitions with her. In 2018, last year, we had our greatest challenge. We decided to do the Marcha, which is a competition of 750 kilometers during 15 days. That is organized to test resistance of Criollo horses. It's only for Criollo horses, this competition. This one, last year, Marcha had 64 horses and she finished eight things among these. Then in 2000. 19 this year, she was entitled for the FICC March, which means International Federation of Criollo Horses. is an organization that uh, is responsible for all Criollos over the world, but mainly Argentina, Uruguay, Paraguay, and Brazil. The FICC is only by invitation, since it's like the World Cup for Criollo Horses held every four years. There is another, there are another competitions in the FICC contest, like uh, the Veio de Ouro and others, but since we are into endurance, we were to do the march. But in the meantime, Paranoia died, so I was with no horse and one entry. Then the Paranoia breeder offered me Buena Sorte, which I already knew, I had run a 30k with her and placed third place too some years ago. He said she had been training, try the march with her. So I bought Buena Sorte actually. We took her to the FICC march where she in the, her very easy pace 
completed in ninth out of uh, 25 horses, which means now I own one of the 10 most resistant Criollo horses of South America. By now we are enjoying a rest because the march ended last week. We are preparing for new adventures. So thanks for hearing me and see you soon. Bye. Well, this past weekend was not only the uh, Riding Tile World Championship, but also was the Equathon World Championship. And Equathon is what I call the gateway drug into Riding Tile because Equathon allows horse riders who don't want to run to compete and allows runners who don't want to ride to compete. So the way that Equathon works is you have a runner and a rider, but rather than switching back and forth like you do in Riding Tile, the rider goes out and rides an entire loop all by himself or herself. And when they come in, the horse has to reach whatever the, the heart rate criteria is. Uh, for this race, it was 60 beats a minute. And the moment the horse reaches 60 beats a minute, the runner goes out and runs usually a shorter loop. And in this case, uh, for the championship, it was an eight-mile loop. And then whichever runner comes in first at the, at the very end, then, of course, wins the, the race. And the plan was for Carrie and me riding her horse, Comet, to compete in the Equathon, but we had done the, the long 35-mile course the day before, and we weren't really thinking we would compete. We were really planning on just having kind of a good, nice, casual, a leisurely day. And so Carrie's job was just to take a nice 12-mile ride in the woods with Comet and enjoy being on her horse and enjoy the, the fairly early morning cool, even though it really wasn't cool, but enjoy the fairly early morning ride on this wonderful course at East Fork Stables in Jamestown, Tennessee. Comet, however, had other plans, and he just was ready to go and wanted to go and begged Carrie to let him go, and so she did. And so they did the 12-mile course, and they came in first ahead of anybody else. They came in almost 30 minutes before I thought they were going to be there, and I happened to be at the start-finish line, but I didn't have my little hydration pack or anything because I just wasn't waiting, ready, thinking they were going to come in. So I ran to my trailer and grabbed my little waste pack and threw it on and came running back out, and wasn't long after I got back that uh, Comet pulsed down to 60. He is just becoming an amazing uh, riding tie pony. He's, he's incredibly athletic, and so he just pulsed down in almost no time, and so I'm off, and the the last thing I did was I looked at Carrie and kind of said, well, I guess now we have to compete, huh? And she said, yeah, we do. And so I have a head start. Uh, nobody else is in yet, even though three more horses were just coming in as I was going out. And there's eight miles ahead of me. And if I can get through the eight miles before the other people pulse down and they come out and catch me, then we're going to be the world champions in Equathon. Uh, the problem is, is that I'm 52 and not as fit as I could be. And to be honest, when Coda went down earlier this year, I lost a lot of my motivation to be in running shape. And so I'm not even in top running form at this point, even for me. But I went out running and I thought, well, I know I can't just blow it all in the first mile or two. The people are coming behind me were so much younger than me, 20 or 30 years younger than me, so much fitter than me. I said, what I've got to do is just run my race, but I'm not going to do what I had planned to do, which was to run a little bit and jog a little bit and walk a little bit and just kind of have a nice eight mile uh, hike in the woods. Nope. Now I'm, I'm in, in it to win it if I can. 
And so I am just running, not as hard as I can, but, but running my race. And I'm running around 11-minute miles, sometimes a little less, sometimes a little more. I'm trying to run the hills, which I don't normally do, and the only time I would walk would be to take the Gatorade out of my back, uh, out of my, my hydration pack. I was wearing a fanny pack kind of thing, or a, a backpack kind of thing. I pulled it out of the, the back holster. I would drink a little bit of Gatorade, put it back, and then start running again. And um, uh, at about a mile one and a half or so, I looked down, and there's an iPhone on the 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 ground and so obviously somebody's lost their iphone so i picked it up put it in my pocket start running and they had some kind of a running program set on it and later i found out it was Lori littles and i think she had it set for her horse for when she was riding and so she had it set at something like nine minute miles which is way faster than i run now it was one time i could run that fast but not anymore and so for the next four or five miles this iphone keeps yelling at me you're going too slow go faster you're not on pace keep going go faster and I teased Lori and said, you are lucky I didn't smash that thing with a rock. Um, but actually, that probably kept me going. It probably motivated me a little bit to try to keep moving forward and pushing forward, having no idea how close uh, my competitors were behind me, but knowing that they were so much better runners. And I was thinking, they probably can do nine-minute miles or better, and if it took them 16 minutes to pulse down, and I'm doing 11-minute miles over the eight-mile course i might be able to just barely hold them off to the end but i probably need more like 24 minutes uh to, to make that happen but i kept on running uh, did as hard you know as much as i could about two and a half miles from the finish there was an aid station and the day before i had been waiting for mark to catch me and so i kind of sat in the aid station for a while and drank a gatorade and took my time because i we were just i knew that uh, Mark and Calypso were back there somewhere and, and we just kind of waiting, but it was very different on Sunday when I'm in this race. And so I yelled ahead, please bring me a water. And I held the, the cell phone out by my side and dropped it on the ground and said, here's a, a, a cell phone that I found. And they had a horse trailer, a horse uh, trough there. And so I just jumped in the horse trough, completely immersed myself to try to cool myself off, grabbed the water they had for me, threw the empty Gatorade can down, uh, and, and took off running again. And so now I'm past uh, five and a half miles, I hit six miles, I hit six and a half miles, and now I'm really tasting uh, maybe this victory. Maybe we can actually pull it off. Carrie and Comet and me, world champion Equathon, wouldn't that be something? Actually, my first Equathon ever. And at mile 6.7, Andrew Murray caught me. Now, Andrew's the one that was on the course over 10 hours the day before. Uh, he's a fireman. He's a youth pastor. He is a lot younger than me, a lot more fit than me. And we talked a minute. I congratulated him, and I said, you go on, Andrew. I'm not challenging you. There's no way I can. Um, you go and win this thing, and I'm proud of you. And so he went on. Uh, at mile 7.75, another runner came by me, and he had come in, or his partner had come in, in seventh place in the horse on the horse and so he was way behind and later uh, they said he was running six minute miles out there six minute trail miles are just blazing through there's a lot of horses that would struggle uh, to do that and uh, when i finally finished the race uh, my average over the eight miles was 11 minutes and 55 seconds a mile so he was literally running twice as fast as i was and he passed me but Carrie and Comet and I did finish third on a day that we weren't really planning to compete, and we got a great story out of it. And so uh, I'm so thankful for that 
Uh, that was a lot of fun and uh, a much more memorable race than had I just gone out and run it and jogged it and walked it. So I'm thankful for Little Comet for for pushing me through and for for making me uh, work a whole lot harder than I might have otherwise. Hi guys, my name is Heather Pudell. I am a Southeast Division member of AERC. I first started doing endurance in 2011. Been kind of sporadic over the years just due to life issues and going back to college at a later date in my life. Um, first got into horses and riding. I guess I was five. And I remember I went to get my hair permed and my aunt set me on the back of a barrel horse. And I didn't know that lifting the latigos would cause the horse to take off, but it did. And I thought it was the funnest thing in the world. And from then, I've just been hooked. So how did I find and stick with endurance as a discipline? My best friend introduced me to endurance in 2011, and it's just stuck. I was, at the time, doing eventing and dressage, and endurance just really called to me. I've always been a person that I never wanted to come off the trail. I always wanted to see what was around the curve, and anytime I was trail riding my event horses, I just wanted to keep going. And then when I realized I could go a little faster, see a little more, get into places that sometimes the public can't get into with some of our rides here in the Southeast, endurance just fit. Um, I love the challenge of learning about the horse's health. I'm a nurse, so I love that aspect of it, Um, figuring out the electrolytes and what do I feed them and how much do I work them and how long does it take to repair stuff. That's just always kind of stuck with me. I love that you get so many free vet visits. (laughs) May not always agree with them, but you're always learning something in endurance. So what drew me to Mustangs, um, I had been riding a Frisian thoroughbred cross that I own and a warm blood mare, and they just kind of didn't want to do it anymore. They've had some hawk injuries and different things not related to endurance just around the house. And I was looking for something to build my confidence. I had come off a few times and what do I do? I go and I get a Mustang. <laughs> so I have a little 10-year-old mare now. I got her when she was about six and a half. She was advertised on Craigslist. It said that she had been ridden two weekends in the Shawnee National Forest. But when I went to see her, she looked nothing like her photo. She was literally a barrel with legs. She was so fat. And I was worried that she had foundered. But I took a chance. I brought her home. Um, just spent two two months completely reworking her because she had just sat in the pasture for a year or two from my understanding. I think initially she was from the Humboldt, Little Humboldt, HMA out in Nevada, and she had went from there to Colorado to Louisiana and was finally adopted out of Murray, Kentucky, but she was adopted at a year and a half, and then she sat in pens for three years was my understanding. So she didn't even get with people till she was four, four and a half. Had a couple issues issues with her tying, but we've worked through that. And I still didn't really get to do a lot with her the first couple of years because I was in nursing school. So I entered a couple of local shows. We did some working ranch. She did really good with that. I remember the first time I got her out on the trail, she didn't even know how to step over a log. And the really no spooks from her. Um, she did not want to cross any kind of lines on the road. But it took her a while. It took her a while to warm up, even with me working with her one-on-one for a couple of months slowly. Didn't eat treats for a couple of years, and she didn't nicker at me for a couple of years. But since I've graduated and I've started riding her more consistently past this last December, she really has opened up and she nickers at me and she's 
happy to be ridden. She's just an honest, uh, very sensitive to her aids kind of horse. She can be ridden with a halter and a rope, bareback, really sensitive. So I have to be really careful with what I ask her to do. So we started conditioning. We started conditioning this past December, slowly through February, and then picked up definitely a lot more in March, April. She entered her first LD. We traveled from Tennessee to southern Alabama to do the Yellowhammer ride. It was in the mid-90s, pretty high humidity, not not super high, but fairly high. Didn't have a clue what she was going to do. I had been mentoring a new endurance rider on a new horse. It was also their first. So just because I didn't know how she would handle that extreme of weather, we started last. We took our time, and we finished with four minutes to spare. But she did really well. She um, had a lot of go left to her. She did good in her vet check. She did nick her a little bit, so I've got to work on getting her a little more relaxed so she doesn't bump her heartbeat up. She she did well. She cooled down, I think, in about 10 minutes in our 30-minute pulse boxes. So she had, you know, she wasn't too bad considering the heat. So then about two weeks after that, I took her to Top of the Rock, which is in um, middle of Indiana, by ourselves. She did well both times, camping. I, she tied well. She camped well. She ate. She drank. Um, she didn't act stupid at the start of the race. She was great for the vets. And this time we cantered in. Again, pretty warm weather. It was low 90s with some humidity, a lot of mud on the trails. She came in, I think we finished 13th at that one. She had picked up her speed a little bit, but we were still just working on, you know, can she travel by herself? Can she do this? Is she still going to want to have go at the end? And she did. Gave her a little bit of time off in June and July and picked it up toward mid-July, August. We've been doing a lot of heat training and really been surprised at how well she does with this. But I have local trails near my house. And I can do about a six-mile loop with some pretty steep hills down in some valleys. It's a single track with a lot of technical stuff, stepping over logs, going through creeks. And then if we go across the road, we have a lot of fields with some more rolling hills and creeks that we can go around to mimic sand or go a little farther out from those fields and just treat it like a track. So I'd been doing about six-mile rides in the heat, 95 with high humidity, and she's handled those pretty well. We just did a 30, almost a 30-mile practice this past weekend. I wanted to make sure I was going to be okay because I've been battling some hip, knee, low back issues from um, a bulging disc that I've gotten some shots for recently. And we did 30 miles, and I was just barely sore afterwards, and she seemed okay. She was still willing to go. We did our first practice loop with somebody and then when they left she was okay on her second and third so I think it's time that we're gonna try to bump up to a 50 for a big south fork this will be the first time that I've been back in eight years I've wanted to go back every year and something has just got in the way but it is the most beautiful ride just love it so we're gonna attempt a 50 I don't know that we'll finish, <laughs> um, but I, I hope that we do. I hope that we just turtle and take our time that she shows me that she's willing to go that extra loop and that my body holds together, but she's she's just wonderful. I mean, she's really the nicest horse that I've ever had. She's bottom of the totem pole. Her feet grow really quick. They're super round. So right now we're just doing metal shoes with gel filling before the rides. I would like to get her in some boots, but right now it's just really hard to fit her for them. And did I mention that she is only 14, one and a half? It's 
some good days, you might get her at 14 too. She's stocky. She's got great bones, one pretty blue eye, but she is just has amazed me so far, and I'm curious to see how far she'll go. I'm curious to see in the next year or two if she's able to move up to hundreds. So the very last thing that I'd like to say really quick about her that I didn't think to mention is her gates. Um, she has a fast walk, surprisingly, for her size. She's got three very distinct trots. She has a very slow, smooth, almost like a a western jog. I think she would actually do well in western dressage. Then she has a very medium, almost kind of bouncy, regular trot. And then she has a very fast for her size extended trot and a smooth canter. Her canter and her extended trot are about the same speed. But overall, she's very forward. Oh, and I think I did accidentally say she was adopted at a year and a half. But what I meant to say was that she was caught wild off the range at a year and a half. I think she was actually adopted around age four or four and a half. So that's a wrap for episode 28. I want to say thank you for listening in. It is way past my bedtime, but I stayed up late to get this one done for you guys. And pretty much going to need new files after this. So if you've been thinking about sending into the podcast, go ahead and send in. I just request that you try to keep it under 10 minutes. If you have a big story to tell, then go ahead and push the audio up to around eight minutes or so and find a good place to end. Then record another audio and reintroduce yourself and try to keep that run around eight minutes. And then that way it keeps a a nice broke up rhythm. Send it on in. We'll be happy to hear from you. And I think we've passed our quota because we're not even technically two years old until March. And we're already at episode 28. So we've passed our 12 episodes per year average that I was shooting for. So I'm quite happy. Thank you all. And uh, I'll keep you posted about Grace. I guess I could give a small update about her here. So we covered the ride that she did. Her first ride was in Arkdale on August 10th this year. And she did fabulous. And I, I told you all about that. I was going for a mid to backpack, back of the pack finish. Turtle would have been fine. Um, and she did very well. And so then the next one on the calendar was Colorama, and we did that one. I think I'll, I'll do a more in-depth in audio about that later on. So happy with that horse. She did so good, and um, she loves camping, settles right in, can't complain at all. So again, she finished, you know, mid to the back of the pack. So that was her second ride. I think we're only getting three in this year because she wasn't quite uh, conditioned up until August. So our next ride, you know, knock on wood, God willing and the stars align, we'll be back to Arkdale for a 30-mile LD ride in October, in just a few weeks. And we'll probably give you an, an update from there, and if I can manage it, an on trail update. And, uh... I hear that Binky is going to send in a pretty good update pretty soon, but she just bought a house, so congratulations, Binky. 
And we all cannot wait to hear about your first 50 with Titan. I was there. I know it was great. I can't wait to hear your audio, lady. So, all y'all, whatever time of day you're listening to this, I don't know, but it's 10 after 10 here. So I'm going to say good night. Ride far. Ride well. Ride often. Bye now.